podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You're listening to a Talking Tactics special hosted by Daniel Taluk. At what point do fate and destiny become legitimate explanations for things we can't explain? Chelsea's 2011-2012 season may be a perfect test case. This Talking Tactics special tells the story of a team who repeatedly fell short in their quest for European football's biggest prize, but as their core of aging superstars were being phased out, they inexplicably captured their holy grail. That's the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona in Naples. At the time it was the Stadio San Paolo, just before the round of 16's first leg between Napoli and Chelsea in the 2011-2012 UEFA Champions League. Chelsea arrived winless in five weeks, and manager Andre Villas-Boas benched veteran stars Frank Lampard, Michael Essien, and Ashley Cole. It started alright for Chelsea. Juan Mata scored first in the 27th minute, but Napoli's Edson Cavani equalized just before halftime, and his teammate Ezequiel Lavetti put his foot on the Blues' neck, scoring twice in the second half. There it is. A London club beaten in Italy in the Champions League. It is another blot on the AVB record. There's no disguising that. More awkward questions, particularly about the selection for the starting lineup. The true answers will come after the second leg at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea had the lead, but lost it and have lost the first leg here in Naples by three goals to one. Here's Mark Wall, an author and traveling Chelsea supporter who attended the first leg. And after Mark, Rowan West Henry, writer and Stamford Bridge regular. Came out of the stadium and it was pouring down with rain, got soaked and thought, why do we do this? Managers got it all wrong. They just weren't together. Like all the players seemed really angry, but not in a kind of fired up and raring to go kind of way. We all have days like that, but most of us don't do them in front of tens of thousands of people around the world. It was just another case of, okay, well, three one down, we're basically out, aren't we? Because there's one thing to lose, there's another thing to get beaten. Chelsea got beaten. The voice of Have Hope, football analyst, podcaster, YouTuber, and if you believe him, a complicated Chelsea fan. The nature of the loss was that, mm, this may have reached its end of its tenure, this thing. This thing started in 2003. Russian billionaire Roman Abramovich wanted a football club in London, and qualifying for the Champions League in the last game of the 2002-2003 season, Chelsea were an attractive prospect. Abramovich bought the West London club and quickly made them European contenders. In his first season, he bought 12 players spending over £120 million. Managed by Claudio Ranieri, Chelsea finished second in the Premier League and reached the Champions League semi-final, but it wasn't good enough. Ranieri was sacked, and Jose Mourinho, who won the Champions League with FC Porto, was hired. I'm a, I think I'm a special one. The Portuguese managed to win Chelsea their first English crown in 50 years, but the Champions League escaped them, losing a controversial semi-final to Liverpool in 2005. Chelsea reached the 2007 Champions League semi-final, again losing to Liverpool, and the next season Mourinho was gone. World Cup winning Brazilian manager Luis Felipe Scolari was hired in 2008, but was fired in a matter of months. Carlo Ancelotti was hired in 2009. The Italian brought domestic success, winning the Premier League and FA Cup double in 2009-2010, but after two seasons and the Champions League evading him, Ancelotti was dubiously sacked in 2011. All Roman ever wanted was the Champions League because it's the biggest trophy. Literally the biggest trophy. It's the biggest, it's the shiniest, so it's just like, okay, well, we'll have that. I admired Abramovich's obsession with the Champions League because it's mirrored Perez and Real Madrid. It raises the profile of, of the club and it raises the respectability of the club. It's a nice pressure to have for any manager coming because they know that we are competing for the Champions League. And Abramovich says, what do you need? I will provide you what you need. That's winning mentality. And grandiose vision for a club, I think, is great and has to be admired. I loved Carlo and I loved all the things that he was doing. He brought in some really interesting players. It was a super fun time, but it was never going to last because of the lack of getting anywhere in the Champions League. It kind of become resigned to the fact that we're going to always sack our managers. As well as it may sound, I like that. Now, obviously, there's some managers that I wanted to see kept because I liked what they were about. I think Hayden was cool and Chelsea was cool and I liked those guys, but I accepted it. What that told me was that for Abramovich, this isn't a process thing. This isn't a here of, hey, I'm going to give you time four, five, six years. 
It's about winning. The manager of merry-go-round was a necessary pressure he put onto managers to get the best out of them, with the end goal being the Champions League. While their English rivals, Rafa Benitez's Liverpool, Arsene Wenger's Arsenal and Sir Alex Ferguson's Manchester United maintained relative continuity, Chelsea had hired four full-time managers in nine years, and a fifth was on his way. FC Porto won a treble in 2010-11, a baby treble but a treble nonetheless. The Primera Liga, the Taça de Portugal, and the UEFA Europa League. Their manager was former Mourinho assistant Andre Villas-Boas. The 33-year-old cost a record 15 million euros, and Abramovich paid, because why wouldn't he? The young Portuguese arrived at Chelsea with a huge task on his shoulders, and many were optimistic about his project. Owner of Blue Lions TV, Nini FC, explains his excitement. The most exciting time for me as a Chelsea fan was when we signed with Ashburn. Imagine a guy from London regularly trying to watch Porto games. The football they played, the players they had, Hulk, Falcao, Guarin, fantastic team, fantastic football, the way they just dominated in the, in the Europa League. And this was Andre Villas-Boas, a guy that was 30, doing things that you only do in football manager. I mean, record points, undefeated season. Of course, Mourinho always edged it because he won the Champions League. But if you were to take that away, if you compared Andre Villas-Boas and Mourinho's time at Porto, you might have to say that Villas-Boas was more complete than Mourinho because he did things more perfectly. Nick Miller, football writer for The Athletic, offers his perspective. There was quite a significant backlash against this guy. Everyone thought he was too clever, clever and too smart. Being a much younger man, possibly much more immature, I kind of instantly went against that and was fully behind this guy. He's won all these trophies with Porto, doing things a different way, and you shouldn't go against that. Guys are just scared of someone doing something different. But then, as it turns out, different doesn't necessarily mean good. And it seems clear fairly quickly this was a job that was too big too soon. Villas Boas just tried everything too quickly. John Terry and Frank Lampard and Drogba just said, Hang on a minute, who is this guy? Where are your medals? We'd had success with former Porto managers before. I thought it's worth giving him a chance. And then it turned out that it really wasn't because the dressing room just didn't respect him. I think because he was so much younger than the managers that they were used to, we're not really going to play to your game plan or they weren't able to. That's what made me start to have a deeper understanding of football. A lot of my arguments and discussions when I was young talking about football were just, you know, bullet points that you just see. When I saw Andre Villas-Boas, what he did with Porto, him trying to recreate that with us, with a squad that didn't suit that style of football, that was like the first time I started to question what I was seeing. But, you know, it was clear it wasn't right. And then it went from bad to worse. The belief wasn't there. We kind of laboured against the better teams the players weren't buying into whatever it was Villas Boas was trying to do. And with every game that passed, he just looked more and more out of his depth. Oliver, can you explain what your relationship is like with some of your senior players? When I say that, I mean players like Ashley Cole, players like Frank Lampard. Yeah, very good. Do you feel you have the full backing of everybody? You don't expect for them to be jumping up and down with excitement when a manager doesn't use them. But uh, full backing, part backing or whatever backing really doesn't really matter. Do you have any regrets now? No, I don't have any regrets regarding team selection. Team selection that I choose is the, is the best for the team and it's the team selection that I feel at that moment is, is completely right. What you saw from Villas-Boas was somebody who thought of himself too highly. That is cool, but you have to have the results to pack it up. So I think when things were not going his way, players were not responding to him. He sort of still maintained, hey, I'm Andre Villas-Boas, I'm going to keep on going. I'm right and you're wrong. So I think he played his cards wrong. It was the wrong job at the wrong time for him. The main thing, if you're going to sign Villas-Boas is, is he want a defensive line to have pace that's able to be very high but when you've got guys like John Terry you can't do that and the Chelsea ball gave him impossible demands you know restructure this team phase out some of the old guys and Vilash Barras was trying to do that but it's like the guy is obviously going to be cocky after what he did at Porto anyone would be my methods work because this is what I did last season I did feel sorry and it was just like the boards didn't give him any of the players he'd need to kickstart anything like that the whole managerial situation at Chelsea would be helped if Roman actually knew what he wanted beyond trophies he's brought in so many different managers with so many different philosophies Vilash was another one and he had a very different style of working I think he changed a lot of the diets which people don't generally like when you're doing that and trying to change the way they're playing I think it was all just a bit too much. I think the job was probably too big for him at that time in his career. 12 days after losing the first leg in Naples, West Bromwich Albion beat Chelsea 1-0 in the league. 
Perhaps Vias Boas knew his fate. You've had to deal with a lot of questions, haven't you? That comes with the territory of being the manager of a big club like Chelsea. But this is three wins in 12 league games now. I don't need to tell you the stats. Mm -hmm. uh, that doesn't just, appear to, it doesn't appear good enough. Is that good enough for you, three wins in 12? No, but uh, it's, it's not good enough for quite some time now because our position in the league is, uh, is fifth place. When that is the case, that means something is wrong. And what is wrong is exactly the statistics you say. We don't, uh, we don't win enough. It's not numbers that makes us uh, very, very proud. In football, there is joy, there is pain and there's another chance. And forgive me, I think I have to ask this question. Sure. Will, will you get another chance? And is three wins in 12 league games good enough for the people that make those decisions? Well, you have to ask them, not me. Chelsea's 1-0 loss at the hands of West Bromwich Albion proved to be the final nail in the coffin for Andre Villas-Boas. According to the club's statement, results and performances of the team have not been good enough and were showing no signs of improving at a key time in the season. Vilas Boas became the seventh manager to depart since Roman Abramovich took over the club. However, soon after parting ways, Abramovich addressed the players and reportedly blamed them for the manager's departure. Chelsea had paid Porto 13.3 million in compensation for the 33-year-old. His association with the club lasted only 256 days. His assistant, Roberto Di Matteo, has been put in charge until the end of the season. Several names are doing the rounds as his replacement including Rafa Benitez and Jose Mourinho. Villas-Boas had an impossible job, which was getting aged superstars to accept the project designed for their removal. Interim manager Roberto Di Matteo had no such designs. His job was bringing immediate stability into the dressing room and fostering a feel-good factor with Chelsea supporters. His time playing at Stamford Bridge would prove decisive on both counts. I absolutely adored Roberto Di Matteo. I still do. I remember when he broke his leg, there was a lot of, he's going to be back in six months. Okay, and then six months would go past. It's like, yeah, it's going to be another few months. And then eventually it got to, yeah, he's not coming back. He, along with all the other Italians that arrived in the 90s, brought exciting, beautiful, in its own Chelsea kind of way, football, back to the club because the, the 80s were a dark time, I'm told. And Roberto Di Matteo was a really big part of that. It was gutting that he went out with a whimper rather than a bang. So everyone at the club was completely behind him because they wanted him to have the end to his Chelsea story that he should have had. It's completely understandable Chelsea fans will have this emotional connection with him because he was part of that influx of European players who came into the Premier League in the mid-90s. He was a symbol of that generation of players that changed the club from what was quite an unpleasant very English club in the 70s, 80s and early 90s to what became this outward thinking cosmopolitan club. His subsequent career has shown those few months at the end of the 2012 season were perhaps an example of where emotion does work. It can have a very important short-term boost but that's not going to carry you very far in the long term. Winning their next two league games, belief rose with Di Matteo. Out for the first leg, captain John Terry was back. He was asked about the 3-1 deficit created in his absence. I think if it all goes well, it could go down as one of the great nights in, in Chelsea's history. We've had some big nights, but as you said, over there, you know, it was a hostile atmosphere. They showed actually that they're a very good football in an attacking side. With that in mind, we're very aware of, of what they can possess tomorrow and bring to us. But then a big Champions League night and, and what the Champions League's all about. We're hoping we've got the squad of players and the experience to overcome that. Chelsea fans around that time always had an inner belief in the team that on any occasion we could get the result we needed to. So I was never defeated. Any impossible job I thought could be done. I've seen us come from behind so many times with these players. You can never just lose your faith and belief in them. It's a belting night to be at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea's performance needs to be spot on and even that may not be enough. The noise is absolutely fantastic. Napoli, of course, favourites, but this is new ground for them. While Chelsea experienced regulars at this level are hanging on. We came up against Napoli that said, this is what we need to do. You know, I'm Didier Drogba. I'm the best striker in the world. Oh, it's brilliant towards Drogba! Go on! First plug to Chelsea! I'm John Terry, captain leader legend. Chelsea. I'm Frank Lampard, best midfielder in the history of the Premier League. It's Lampard, it's 3-1! And then, you, you know, you've got a supporting cast of Ivanovic, Ashley Cole, Louise Essien, Ramirez, Petr Cech in, in goal. What a team. Goal! Ivanovic! Get in there! Chelsea needed a hero, they found one in Brenislav Ivanovic. And Stamford Bridge has lift-off. 4-1. 4-1.
The second leg comeback was definitely Lampard, Drogba and Terry proving they were very much still there. They wanted to play for a manager who actually understood the club. You couldn't get a more perfect example of that than Roberto Di Matteo. With Di Matteo, I think he just did the smart thing and that was let the players do it themselves. When that squad was first assembled, it was assembled to play a particular style of football. And this is why during those times, we always saw the players revert back to that style. Whenever managers came and went. Di Matteo was the figurehead, but there's a really famous photograph when we played the return leg against Napoli at the bridge where you see John Terry, when the game goes to extra time, Terry's been subbed off and he stood behind Di Matteo making all kinds of signals to the players on the pitch. It was symbolic. Di Matteo comes in and is like, you know what? I'm not going to trust the crew that helped build this in 05 when Mourinho won the league. These guys still have one last ride, one last hurrah in them. So it was a combination of the players reacting based on obviously their issues with Villas Boas and also Di Matteo's man management. The so-called old guard had rekindled their magic and some Chelsea fans let their minds think big thoughts. Something can happen now, especially that manner of the win because it wasn't just a scrappy win we dominated them as soon as the game finished i was just like we're gonna win the champions league my husband said to me where have you got that from i said no we're just definitely gonna do it i got a feeling robbie's in charge everything's good we're gonna win the champions league so after that performance and then finding out that benfica were gonna be their next opponents sl benfica lisboa i will play benfica Chelsea Football Club, London. You're thinking, this is a semi-final. We're guaranteed a place in the semi-final now. We went out to Lisbon for that game. We had a week's holiday there, quite a few of us. It was beautiful. Benfica, decent side. Beat them 1-0, came back to the bridge, beat them 2-1. And then all of a sudden, we're like, okay, what next? What next was La Liga Giants Barcelona. The holders of the cup were Champions League favourites and Lionel Messi was enjoying arguably the best season of his career. Finding out we're playing against Barcelona, of course that's going to creep in. How can it not? Look what they were doing that season. Unbelievable things. Wasn't that the year that Messi got like 50 plus or got like 70 or something crazy like that? I was thinking, you know what? I just want to be proud of the performance. I don't really care about the result because I just saw the players in the squad we had comparing them to one of the best teams in the history of football. I wasn't very confident. Always finding each other in the Champions League, Chelsea and Barcelona had met four times previously in the knockout stages, before 2012 and 2009. The 2008-2009 season started with a new manager, Luis Felipe Scolari. He was sacked after seven months due to poor results and internal disputes. Esteemed Dutch coach Gus Hiddink was made interim manager. Getting an immediate reaction, Chelsea reached the 2009 Champions League semi-final against Barcelona. The first leg finished nil-nil at the new Camp. The return leg was at Stamford Bridge and Chelsea were confident they could advance. It's a game that you'll never forget. The drama, everything that happened afterwards as well. It's the only time I've ever been really confident playing against Barcelona. Just seeing the domination, you know, we saw a team at its peak some fantastic players. The 2009 semi-final, I was sat um, in the Matthew Harding just underneath the clock. It was one of the best European nights. Like I think only the four all against Liverpool could top it for atmosphere. It was incredible. SEN scored that absolute banger right at the beginning. It felt like it was our time. Looking to put it back. And SEN! It's a fantastic start for Chelsea! SEN's the man! Chelsea in pole position. This is on his weak side. This is just about as good as it gets. And I have to say it, take a bow, son. That is absolutely stunning. That's that goal. Oh, my God. It's one of the best goals I've ever seen. A left foot volley in a game of this magnitude. I don't know how Essie was able to produce these moments time and time again. That goal was so crazy because the Nets didn't even really ripple and you're not really sure that it's a goal until you just see people celebrating. It was such a crazy distance that he shot it from. So when he scored, I was like, damn. But even when he scored, I was like, this is Barcelona. There is a long way to go and he scored early. I was watching that game in a bar in Leeds. I just remember being surrounded by Chelsea fans, obviously completely crazy about the various refereeing decisions that took place. The Tom heading Vrabo game. I think he's admitted subsequently that he got quite a few of those decisions wrong. Didn't give Chelsea see two or three penalties that they thought they should have had. I don't have a dog in the fight, but it was undoubtedly funny to <laughs> see a lot of these guys going completely crazy over refereeing decisions. Lampard has helped it through and Drogba controls. He's gone down. The referee looked at his linesman and 
doesn't award a penalty, uh, as the I, Chelsea fans were paying for. My first reaction is a penalty, because why else would you go down? It's the shirt pull, that's there, then the left leg comes over there and takes Stromper. That to me is a penalty, there's no if, buts and maybe's about it. Anelka, is that handball against PK? The referee says no. <laughs> well, it is a handball, it hits the hand. There's absolutely no doubt about it. I just find it amazing that they've gotten away with so many penalty decisions. Well, the complaints will be long and bitter if Chelsea don't finish off this job. The PK handball was right in line with where I was sitting. I've seen his arm move like he's playing volleyball. The ball completely changes direction, the referee's staring right at it, and nothing happened. I say to people that when I'm 80 and I'm in a nursing home and I can't even recognize my children, if you show me a picture of Gerard Piquet, I will still absolutely lose my mind. Chelsea controlled the match for 92 minutes, but in the 93rd minute, Barca fashioned their only real chance and Andres Iniesta broke blue hearts. Headed away by Terry, Eto broke from him, but it's Messi, it's Iniesta! Oh no. And the Chelsea fans cover their eyes in horror! Two minutes from time, and it's heartbreak at Stamford Bridge! Iniesta rattles one in, and suddenly in the minute and a half that remains, Chelsea find themselves needing another goal! Can you believe it? I was in the upper tier of the shed, dead centre with the, the roof of the Chelsea goal, with the Barcelona travelling support maybe two yards away from me. So you can imagine the feeling when Iniesta scored that goal in injury time. That was the ultimate punch in the gut when Iniesta scored that goal. Just completely sucked uh, the life out of the stadium. To be fair to him, it was an absolute crack. It was basically a mirror of Essien's. It was the most heartbreaking. Like, I was angry and heartbroken in equal measure. But the crazy thing was, as he hits that, it was like, snap. But based on how well Chelsea sort of controlled the, the narrative of both legs, I still felt that... It's going to be another moment. Little did I know that the moment would be where it was a stonewall penalty and the referee simply didn't give it. Iniesta was the only shot on target the entire game. I don't even know what made him attempt that type of shot. But it goes in the top corner and we're out. And, but of course, it was one final drama. Lampard takes the corner and Chip was up there and got ahead to it. Balak has a rattle, a handball appeal, and the referee says no. Balak confronts him angrily, just as he has been the rest of the night. Any penalty appeal in his direction, the referee not interested. And there's the final whistle, and it's Barcelona who are in the final against Manchester United in Rome. Chelsea are livid at the rejection of their penalty appeals from the Norwegian referee. That is one of the great robberies in Champions League history. Specifically, the thing that just pissed me off was after Iniesta had scored. You know it was a penalty, but you did give it because you're like, ah, Iniesta just scored. This seems pretty cool. It's a dramatic late winner. Nah, screw you. It was a straight robbery. The guy sitting in front of me turned around and the look on his face, he was like the image of a crazy, crazy football fan. I was like, wow, that's quite scary. And then I realized that I looked exactly the same as did everyone else around me. At full time, there was a surge to sort of go towards the pitch. No one got on the pitch. But yeah, I've never felt a crowd more angry than that because we were robbed. We were robbed blind and it was it was painful. Etu gave away a pony at the end from the Michael Ballard shot, never came through and I think when that moment happened, the stadium got very sinister. It was no surprise that the players had that same energy because they were robbed. And I think the justification from all of them, 100% justified. The disappointment, the despair is turning ugly and we'll stay with these pictures because they are part of the story, not a seemly part of it. The kit man there trying to stop Drogba getting himself into further trouble. Drogba's emotions was exactly the same as my emotion. I felt his pain. Which is why, like, when I saw it, I wasn't like, oh my gosh, look at how thingy Drogba is. I was like, yeah, yeah, because this is how I'm feeling. He just exemplified how I'm sure a lot of Chelsea fans felt, but specifically how I felt was how Drogba expressed himself. Hiddink and Lampard did their best to capture how their team felt in post-match press conferences. It's not easy to analyze the game just when your adrenaline is still in. But yeah, we were we were so disappointed because there are two issues. One is that we could have and we should have scored in some open situations because, um, of course, we, we talk a lot about the not given penalties, not one 
I have them here. <laughs> I will. Uh, this DDA shirt pulling is okay. We had Henry situation in Barcelona, okay. But there were three others situation that it was so clear, and the boys feel. Yeah, I shall not say what we really feel, but it's uh, it's injustice. Is there a danger that the match could get overshadowed by the reaction of the players at the end? You think towards I'm, the referee? Well, it depends how people want to make it, but you understand eleven men that are trying to get to this final, and when there's at least three clear penalties not given, I don't think you can really expect grown men to walk off and not say a word. And I think violent happened it was just people that are disappointed not to get there and I don't think that question should be asked so much do you in your heart of hearts still feel that as a Chelsea player you can reach Champions League final and win it of course of course if you don't believe that there's no point in carrying on to be honest I thought everything was over I thought we've blown it it's not going to happen again players will get in order we weren't really investing too well into the team as well so things weren't looking too optimistic just the juxtaposition between what was supposed to happen and what actually happened like from heartbreak to being robbed it felt like maybe it will never happen for us I knew that Drogba and Lampard and Terry and Czech would still do great things for us but it was start to be like maybe it won't ever happen maybe we are like cursed or something Three years after their last meeting, Barcelona and Chelsea were back in the semi-finals. This time though, the Blues weren't equals. They were clear underdogs. Frank, it is six semi-finals in nine years, but for the first time, it's as if nobody's giving Chelsea a chance. Do you quietly have a plan that you think can work against this Barcelona team? We're under no illusions about playing Barcelona. I quite like the tag of being underdogs. We have to respect the opposition, but we have to go and play our game. And if we do that, I personally believe we have a very good chance of winning the game. But as I said, we have to be at our best because we are taking on the best. When you've lost in the past, have you gone home, beaten yourself up about it, thought we've really blown it there, and you feel like you've let too many chances go over the years? I wouldn't lie to say that it's not disappointing to reach so many semi-finals and not win the competition. Some of my... Uh, worst moments in, a, in football have been losing semi-finals the Barcelona game probably more than any because of the circumstance but again success comes in football and so does failure and you have to be big enough to take it you have to bounce back and we hope as a club that the Champions League will one day come to us and we'll win it this was all built for Barcelona the narrative was this is Barcelona's year because it's Messi's year everything said that they're going to win this because remember they were the defending champions I just didn't think Chelsea had a, had a chance and Messi going to now complete this thing, win the, the Champions League and then it's just going to be like, wow, one of the great years for Messi and Barcelona. So that's what's, what I believe the narrative was going to be. The venues flipped from 2009. Instead of ending at Stamford Bridge, this semi-final started at Stamford Bridge. Barca dominated the first half. Alexis Sanchez struck the crossbar and Ashley Cole cleared a Cesc Fabregas shot off the goal line. But despite dominating, Barcelona didn't score. For that, Drogba made them pay in first half stoppage time. And Lampard looks for Ramirez and found him. Drogba's calling for the ball far side. Didier Drogba gives Chelsea the lead right on the stroke of half time. What an important goal that is. Chelsea took their 1-0 lead into the second half and defended admirably. Pedro struck the post and Sergio Busquets skied the rebound in second half stoppage time. But Chelsea held on, keeping a vital clean sheet. Even after they won, you kind of thought, ah, that's lovely for you. You've had your moment, Drogba scored to win the first leg 1-0, but you're going to get destroyed in that second leg in, in the new Camp. Before the second leg in Barcelona, Petr Cech was asked if Chelsea's old spine could win the Champions League. But before him, Di Matteo gives a measured response after his team's first leg victory. You know what to expect when you play uh, at the new Camp. Uh, it's going to be very, very difficult and we still have to believe we might be able to score a goal there as well. So it's going to be a tough game. It's, it's a tough game for any of position that goes to Barcelona. We'll have to be at our best again. Better. Together with Drogba, Lampard and Terry, you played a couple of semi-finals. Do you think this is the last chance for the four of you to win the Champions League together? You know, I've been hoping for eight years that that's always the year when I'm going to have a chance to win the Champions League. And here we are again. I'm again in the semi-final and, and I hope that this year is going to be the year. Many times we were close, but we, we haven't managed to do so. And I hope that if we have a fantastic game tomorrow, we will have a chance to play the final. We need to first play 90 minutes tomorrow or maybe even more. Let's see how the game is going to go. Then we'll have a chance. So it's too early to speak about the finals now. The scene is set for a European classic. Over 90,000 people here in one of the great cathedrals of world football. And the prize at stake is a place in the final of Europe's greatest cup competition. Chelsea withstood waves of Barcelona pressure for half an hour. 
but their defense was breached in the 35th minute by Sergio Busquets. Alves onto the loose ball. Danger here for Chelsea. Just two minutes later, Chelsea dug themselves an even deeper hole. John Terry was red-carded after kneeing Alexis Sanchez in the back, and Barca quickly pounced. Terry and Sanchez have had a bit of a spat, which has been drawn to the uh, attention of Tunic Chakir. He's going to his pocket here. Oh, he's shown red to John Terry. The Chelsea captain has been sent off for an off-the-ball incident involving Alexis Sanchez. And Messi and Iniesta! Two, Barca in command on their own turf, a man up, and now on aggregate, a goal up. I was amazed that they held up for so long, really. You just assume the second half is going to be a complete bloodbath. You didn't give these guys a chance with 11 men, never mind with 10 men and without their best defender, who very stupidly got sent off. I did something really bad, which I've never done in my life before. During that time when I watched the game, I actually had to pause it. A neighbour came around at the time asking for something quickly. Once I saw Iniesta score the second goal, I'm like, you know what, I just want to fast forward. The game's going to be over. It's, it's not going to be a good night. But as I'm doing that, I see that something happened. I rerunned the thing all the way back just to see what the hell happens. It's almost farcical with Chelsea. It's kind of, OK, Captain Leeds of Legends off, not going to play in the final. What happens next? Ramirez scores. Hard's done well on this rare oh, attack, it? and it's a lovely ball as well. A chance here. It's a goal. Oh. Ramirez arrives from nowhere to give Chelsea hope again. Incredible, fantastic run from Ramirez, scoops it over Valdez. But I can't tell you how good that finish is. One of the best scores I've ever seen. And it's just like Ramirez, you haven't even ever hinted at doing anything like that. For him, of all people, to produce that moment, to just have that confidence and just to be that gas of himself in the moment to even attempt that. Wow. It was such against the run of play and it was such a shock to the system of Barcelona because it didn't go to script because for Barcelona, they were like, we're playing 10 men. This should be a foregone conclusion. It's at Camp Nou. We're good. So once Ramirez scored mentally, psychologically, they were not sure how to react. And for Chelsea, that just gave them the massive boost. The fact that we're able to get that away goal with 10 men, there might be something here. If Terry didn't get that red card, Ramirez wouldn't have been so deep. And if Ramirez wasn't that deep on the right, that whole move, that beautiful chip would never have happened if that incident didn't come. This hope just came like, wow, we can do this. There's just a uniqueness to Chelsea. I call it glorious unpredictability. You get a sense that something's going to happen. And that's either a good thing or a bad thing. You think back on this game and all the various things that happened and you kind of convince yourself that it wasn't real. Because Ramirez is obviously this Brazilian player, but he had a reputation as a workhorse, very rarely showed any kind of delicacy and skill. And then you see him dinking this incredibly delicate chip over the keeper. Looking back on it, you should have thought something this ludicrous and unlikely has happened, then anything can happen in this game. But even then, you just thought, well, OK, they've got another 45 minutes to hold out and there's no chance they're going to do it. One of my friends had convinced me to go to the pub that she worked at to watch it. JT getting sent off with two goals down. It was super nerve-wracking. So I went outside just before halftime. I was watching through the window. So I saw Ramirez score. I was like, well, yes, we're going through on away goals. And then I went back inside, got a drink, started watching the second half. We conceded a penalty. And I went back outside and I watched Lionel Messi, greatest player in the world, miss his penalty. penalty. Lionel Messi. Oh, he's hit the bar. Messi has missed the penalty. Now I've seen everything. So at that point, I decided when I was inside the pub, bad things happened. And when I was outside the pub, good things happened. So I watched the rest of the second half through the window. I had to keep banging on the window because people kept moving in the way. Couldn't see the telly. After about 20 minutes, my mate came out and was just like, what are you doing? I was like, no, 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 I have to stay out here. If I come back inside, it'll all go horribly wrong. I've never, ever watched a game where I've stood up watching the TV. I couldn't physically sit down. I've never felt so much tension in my life watching a football game. When that penalty came, you're thinking, nah, there's no way we're going out like this to a penalty. It can't be happening. Messi hit it. It's a crossbar. But uh, the tension, because that Barcelona team under Pep were unrelenting. 
unrelenting. Without Terry, Chelsea sank deeper. Drogba was made an auxiliary fullback and the Blues did their best to repel each Barca attack without an outlet. Needing fresh legs, Di Matteo brought on Fernando Torres in the 80th minute. Two minutes later, Sanchez scored an offside goal. Messi then struck the post. Entering three minutes of injury time, there was no guarantee Chelsea could maintain their advantage. And then suddenly this guy appears completely on his own, very irresponsibly on his own as well. They've got no idea what he was doing up there. I think he goes in for a tackle, he doesn't get it, and just keeps on jogging forward. The ball gets punted upfield. For some reason, he's there. It's completely illogical. It was this guy who had been a complete clown and a very expensive clown for a long time. Suddenly pops up and gives the club what, to that point, was probably the greatest moment in their history. Lashed clear by Cole. Torres is onside and all alone here. Fernando Torres in stoppage time. He wouldn't, would he? He has for Chelsea. And they go to Munich. Torres wasn't deep with the team because obviously when Drogba was playing, he was playing as a fullback, basically. I didn't see Torres put in that same energy. I was frustrated and livid at him. So I noticed that Ronnie was making when he was pulling away. The football gods, finally, they've been taking the piss with us over the years. But they were like, you know what? Everything has to be fair now. Ashley Cole lumps it forwards. He didn't, in a way, he was hitting that ball. He just hoofed it forwards. Thank God Torres decided to be selfish in that moment. From the halfway line, carrying the ball to the goal. Based on Torres's tenure at Chelsea, he tries to go around Valdez and mocks it up. And that just is another feather to, to put into the trash Fernando Torres cap. The fact that he went around Valdez with a kind of grace and composure that you expected of a Torres circa 08 and so forth and score something special might be upon this team in this particular competition. I was actually thinking, <laughs> don't even run towards the goal. Just take the ball out wide. <laughs> that's what I was screaming. I remember that's what I was screaming for him to do. Take the ball out wide, hold the ball there. Just waste time. Don't even try and take a shot on goal. That's how much lack of faith I had in this guy. Let's not forget, this is Fernando Torres at the time that was missing goals for fun. No matter how, how open the goal was, you would bet your dollar that Torres is more likely to miss it than score it. And when he just nonchalantly just skipped over him as if, I've always been a world-class player. What are you guys even stressing about? Uh, hitting into the net, it's like, pfft, never celebrated so hard in my life. I've never, ever been through a game like that. Ghana versus Uruguay, that was one. Never been so upset afterwards. Obviously, against Barca before when we drew one all. But yeah, that was one of, one of the best moments for me as a fan. I was quite aggravated that he'd scored. As stressful as it was, it being level on aggregate, we were going to go through on away goals. That would have been the perfect retribution for 2009. That would have like closed that circle and I could have maybe moved on from it. But as brilliant as it was just watching him run because there was there was no one in the way, you still didn't believe that it was going to go in. You still thought, no, there's a chance that he could mess this up. As soon as it crossed the line, I ran back in. We whacked the liquidator on the jukebox. Uh, it was a good night, that. At that moment, I, I convinced myself we were going to win despite the fact that we'd have to go to Munich, play in their stadium and win the trophy there. In the other semi-final, after 210 minutes, Bayern Munich and Real Madrid required penalties to break their stalemate. The carrot for Bayern was the 2012 Champions League final was being held in their home stadium. In the shootout, Bayern Munich's Manuel Neuer saved shots from Cristiano Ronaldo and Kaká. On the other side, Iker Casillas denied Toni Kroos and Philipp Lahm. Sergio Ramos skied Madrid's last penalty and Munich midfielder Bastian Schweinsteiger took advantage, beating Casillas and sending his club to play and host the Champions League final. Sportbuild chief reporter and Bayern Munich correspondent Toby Eilschaffel explains the German club's confidence. They were very confident. I mean, uh, Real Madrid, they're so big. And if we beat Real Madrid in Santiago Bernabeu, we play a final at home and there isn't any opponent who can be too strong for us. In German, it's called the Finale da Huam. The Huam means uh, at home in Bavarian. Of course, the most important thing was the Champions League final in Munich in uh, the home stadium, Allianz Arena. Before the final, Bayern finished second behind Borussia Dortmund in the Bundesliga. They lost again to their rivals in the DFB Pokal final. Chelsea's rough start with Villas Boas meant they placed sixth in the Premier League, but they did beat Liverpool 2 1 to win their seventh FA Cup. With domestic obligations complete, determining who would be champions of Europe was all that was left on May 19th. 
was just such a beautiful day in a really, really beautiful city. My cousin came and met me and took me on a lovely tour. I had some really good ice cream, a lot of really good wheat beer. We ended up, he went to show me the um, the square, like the medieval square, and we turned the corner and it was entirely full of red shirts. Everyone bouncing around, flares and all sorts. And I looked down at my 2000, 2001 blue shirt with Zola on the back of it and I thought nah I don't need to see this medieval square that badly that whole unser stadion unser pokal or whatever it was we saw this stuff and we were saying what does that mean our city our stadium our trophy we think you know god arrogant Germans you know and, and all all that historical stuff about the war came up and you know yeah we're gonna do this you know that's what we do my uncle he lives in Hamburg so we went to Hamburg and we actually drove from Hamburg to Munich it was literally just Bayern Munich City. Everyone was in red. All the students had something Bayern Munich on, either a hat or a scarf or something. The entire city. It was like a struggle to even find Chelsea fans. There were barely any. You could really sense that, okay, this is the final test now. Everything's against us right now. This is a home game for Bayern. Chelsea were without four suspended players. John Terry, Branislav Ivanovic, Raul Morelesh, and Ramirez. The starting centre-back partnership David Luiz and Gary Cahill had missed the FA Cup final with muscle injuries a week prior. If things weren't odd enough, Di Matteo gave left-back and academy graduate Ryan Bertrand his European debut starting on the wing. The nature in which Chelsea had gotten to that final made the game a strange weird 50-50. As much as Bayern, I knew were the superior team in a footballing sense, that team with that kind of mystical spectral cloud over them is always very dangerous. And in a final, it's not about being the better team, it's who wants it more. The 2012 Champions League final, it's Bayern Munich at home to Chelsea. And if the European Cup is heading to London for the first time tonight, Chelsea have got a party to gatecrush. Bayern fully controlled the first half. Czech saved an iron robin shot onto the post. Thomas Muller and Mario Gomez missed half chances but Munich's pressure wasn't enough to score. I was comfortable with that domination, knowing that this isn't our proper team. Most of our players aren't even fit for this game. The ones playing, most of them aren't even fully fit on top of that. I expected a bit more from Bayern Munich. They didn't really create anything clear-cut to offer in the final. Bayern Munich was controlling the match. I mean, I was in the stadium and you never had the feeling Chelsea could score. It was always, okay, we're waiting for the goal, waiting for the goal. One chance after another. Robben chance, Hillary chance, Müller chance. Everybody had a chance, and then finally. Very concerned that it's going to be Bayern who are going to seize a late goal, and could well be enough. Muller has got that late goal with eight minutes to go here in Munich. Bayern Munich lead Chelsea. My belief was this is as far as Chelsea go. You just felt that. Do Chelsea have the mental fortitude against so much a superior team, a team that has played better than you, a team who probably have better performing players than you, and they're playing on their home patch? You have to reach in so deep. It just seemed as if too much was stacked against Chelsea. The woman sat behind me burst into tears. I turned around and I said to her, I was like, no, look, don't worry. There is still time. It's going to be fine. Seven minutes to go. I was still completely zen about it. We were still going to win the Champions League. I tried to find a signal on my phone <laughs> because I thought the odds will have gone out so I could uh, increase my bet. If I'm being honest, I thought it was over. Everyone felt like this was our moment. We were going to win this. So this is like against the scripts. And I didn't know how to process my emotions. I felt kind of empty. Once the goal went in, I was just like, wow, it can't be like this, can it? It can't end like this. Di Matteo added Fernando Torres. Bayern manager Jupp Heynckes countered in the 87th minute with Daniel Van Boyen, thinking the tall centre-back would help protect Munich's lead. A minute later, Torres earned Chelsea a corner. It seemed the season would have an happy end until minute 88. Everything was perfect. The stadium was cheering. Everybody was happy. Uh, Thomas Müller, the local hero, scored the goal. I was in the stadium and everybody was expecting the final whistle from the referee. And But then Basti Schweinsteiger said after the final, David Luiz, before the corner, told him three words and now goal. And <laughs> that's what happened. Very, very hairy moments to reach the final. Something as possibly bleak as this. They've called the rabbit out of the hat again! 
turned around to the woman who was behind me and I said to her, I told you so. I nearly fell over the seat in front of me. We'd all been given flags that I tripped over. There was a lot of hugging of strangers and a lot of screaming. We were in the upper tier and we ran forwards and I, and I thought we were going to go over. So it was a little bit hairy, but one of those great moments. That's why you go to football for moments like that. I was I was watching it with someone, and I think like I basically went on him. I basically like shoved him around, pushed him around because I was like, Wah! It just shows you how football is just too great. It's it's too great. It's too great. In moments like that, my instinctive reaction, I just start laughing. And I don't remember as soon as Drogba headed that in, everyone in the, else in the office was kind of crazy. And I just started laughing because moments like that are completely ludicrous. That's what I remember. I remember just laughing at the absurdness that this guy had done it again. That Drogba goal changed the entire temperature. It just gave Chelsea a whole new lease of life because once that goal went in, something special is happening here. We just have to de deliver. The universe is saying, this is yours, but you're going to have to take it. We're going to present it to you, but you're going to have to take it. You can just see that just how that was a spear and a dagger into Bayern Munich. Everybody was waiting for some extra time, but we see the cup in our stadium and we just wait for our captain to raise it into the Munich air. It was a, a shock, like a, a party crasher. My brain doesn't even process what had happened. Just the execution from the cross and Drogba with the trademark power headers, outpowering his man, aiming for a place in the net. He had no right to school from oh, honestly <laughs> the stadium erupted and from then on everyone was re-energized again and he felt this is ours we're gonna win this drogba's 88th minute equalizer sent the match into extra time and five minutes into it the hero fouled frank ribery in chelsea's box resulting in a penalty for bayern robin took the spot kick a former chelsea player the dutchman was a known commodity to chelsea fans and Petacek. Robin, you know, he was kind of a folk hero that a lot of people, myself included, believed should never have been sold. You know, he thought, well, here he comes, Robin. Is he going to score this? Is Czech going to save it? And then, he, of course, he did, because the pen his penalty was rubbish. Chelsea going to be beaten by a former player, Petacek, against Iron Robin. It's the only time in my life I've been confident that a player was 1 million percent missing this penalty. And when Jack made the save, I was not surprised at all. I think a lot of people in the stadium felt it. The stand I was with, no one was that nervous. I think we all just had this sense that this guy is going to mess up when it really matters. When Czech saved it, Chelsea won the Champions League. They didn't technically win it, they symbolically won it. The moment that Czech saved it, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah. It's too much now. You, it's literally been shoved in your face. There is nothing Bayern can do to win this. You know, shout out to Nazia Jones. It was written. <laughs> Chelsea are just destined to be the Champions League winners. The goal from Mola, then that's goal, just a defeat. Giving with the penalty an extra time, then to miss the penalty and have it saved by check. That's what, you know what, Chelsea have now won this. So now it's about know whether they're going to win it, how are they going to win it. Robin's penalty was the nearest both teams came to scoring an extra time. So after 120 minutes, penalties were needed to decide the winner. Bayern's semi-final win over Real Madrid was settled by penalties. Chelsea hadn't been in a Champions League penalty shootout since 2008. And on that shootout, we have to take a moment because it helps illustrate why 2012 meant what it did for Didier Drogba in particular. Avram Grant was hired as Chelsea's director of football in July 2007. Two months later, then-manager Jose Mourinho left by mutual consent, and Abramovich made Grant interim manager. Grant led Chelsea to runners-up in the League Cup, runners-up in the Premier League, and all the way to the 2008 Champions League final against Manchester United in Moscow. Goals from Cristiano Ronaldo and Frank Lampard cancelled each other out, and after 90 minutes, the final went to extra time. With the game nearly finished and penalties looming, several Chelsea and United players came together. Emotions were high and Drogba's boiled over. He slapped United centre-back Nemanja Vidic in the face, and his gesture didn't go unseen. And it's red for Drogba, raising an arm, I guess. Didier Drogba becomes only the second player to be sent off in the final of this competition. That little flick of the cheek. But right in front of the referee, Mark. Linesman looking at him. Professional suicide. Four minutes later, the final ended 1-1, and Chelsea were without their big-time striker for the deciding penalties. The shootout started well for Chelsea. Czech save United's third, and the Blues made their first four. Drogba would have been the fifth taker under normal circumstances, but the pressure fell upon centre-back and club captain John Taylor. Mr Chelsea, who has felt the pain of the semi-final defeats in the Champions League for Chelsea, has the chance to win the Champions League for Chelsea. 
And it's a chance that has passed him by, and the agony is there again. Watch him slip, Martin. I think he's standing through goes. Starts to go right away. You have to remember, Cristiano missed. So you think that once Cristiano misses, this now gives Chelsea a great, amazing advantage. But the fact that he slipped, because of course it was raining, just a crappy way to lose his own penalties. Terry slipped, his penalty struck the post, and moments later, Chelsea lost the final. Avram Grant, bless him. What a lovely man. He came and had a drink with us in the pub two weeks after he got sacked. Can you imagine any manager doing that? And he was as nice as pie, and he said... You know, I was 10 centimetres from glory in making a reference to JT scuffing that penalty. John is Mr Chelsea. He's Chelsea through and through. He's a club captain. He wants this more than anyone, as much as anyone at this club. Not many centre-halves will stand up and take penalties, the fifth penalty at this importance. And that's testament to his character as a man. No one at Chelsea will criticise him for that. No one at all. He done what he done and we'll be back. How Chelsea got back wasn't as straightforward, nor as matter-of-fact as Frank Lampard made it sound after the 2008 final. But almost four years to the day, they were back. They were back in the Champions League final, back in a penalty shootout, and this time Roberto Di Matteo, the latest in a long line of interim managers, had all 11 players at his disposal against Bayern Munich, including DJ Drogba. Bayern won the coin toss, their captain Philip Lahm was the first to take, and he put the home side ahead. Juan Mata was Chelsea's first taker, and Manuel Neuer saved his penalty. When you're English, you are conditioned, not just against the Germans, but you are conditioned to think any team with any English involvement at all, they're going to choke in penalties, they're going to fail whenever they get a sniff of a penalty shootout. Juan Mata missed the first one, so Bayern, there's no way these guys are going to lose. When Mata missed his penalty, that was the only time my stomach dropped and I thought, oh no, that's it. I was entirely wrong. So many people are going to laugh at me. It's just all going to be awful. Mario Gomez made Munich's second penalty, giving the Bavarians a 2-0 lead. David Luiz was Di Matteo's second name, and the Brazilian defender's long run-up was rather ambitious. We were watching him walk back and back and back, and it was just like, wow, how far is he going? And at that point, I was terrified that he was going to sky it, because when you take a run-up that big, that's always the risk that you take. Long run. David Luiz smashes it in. What a pain. What a great penalty that is. Now 2-1, Bayern nominated Neuer to take their third. Given the quality in their squad, a goalkeeper taking a penalty for Munich seemed rather odd, but the goalie coolly placed his spot kick in the bottom right-hand corner. Frank Lampard followed, powering his penalty above Neuer into the roof of the goal. With the shootout now 3-2, Chelsea needed something to change, and Petacek made it happen. Evika Alic was Bayern's fourth taker. The Croatian forward went left, Cech dove in concert with the shot, and saved it. That opened the door for Ashley Cole to make things level. When we saw Ashley Cole, we thought, oh, really? Subsequently transpired that he was a penalty maestro. Ooh, penalty tonight could square it up here. Ashley Cole. It's 3-3 in the shootout and it's sudden death already. <laughs> well, that tops his night because he has been first class. Look, a little shimmy as well. You won't get a better place penalty than that. The story in the match was... Uh, again, and it's again, and again, and what happens next? One problem after another. When Schweinsteiger was going from the middle to the penalty point, it was the longest 40 or 50 meters of his career. There was the feeling like, okay, this has to go wrong. The whole match was a big drama. Now he will miss. That was my feeling. Schweinsteiger, who was showing signs of fatigue in extra time. He was the John Terry of Bayern Munich, wasn't he? Schweinsteiger had for Munich the moment that John Terry had for Chelsea in 2008. Chelsea are one penalty away, but that's what they were in Moscow. That final in particular, I picked up a very bad habit. I kept my head down for every single penalty, watching the replays afterwards until the last penalty. It was too much for me. I just couldn't watch it. I couldn't bear. But I was just thinking, you know, for the final one, the one that matters, hopefully, obviously I'm going to be watching that. Czech saves made the shootout 3-3. Chelsea now had an opportunity to win the trophy. And the fifth name on Di Matteo's list was Didier Drogba. 
at the time, this was supposed to be Drogba's last game. This player with all these amazing moments and all these goals in big games. I remember when he was stepping up to take it. No connection with Chelsea, no connection with Drogba at all, but just hoping that he wouldn't miss this hero playing his last game, his last ever kick for Chelsea. What could be a more perfect way to go out than that? JT still ridiculed in song for missing that penalty against United in 2008, but it was Drogba who got sent off. So that whole pantomime villain thing that stalked Drogba throughout his Chelsea career, this was it. This was his big opportunity. The fact that he was on the pitch and able to take the penalty, the most terrifying 15, 20 seconds of my life. We were waiting for him to step back to take his run up and he wouldn't. Got everyone shouting like, take a run up and just hit it. But the tension, you could feel it and it was just so stressful. I always believe that things in life rhyme and there's like a pattern there are so many full circle stories again you have to cast your mind back to the oh it's final Drogba felt that he let the team down which is why Drogba was so pissed off in Onan because he knows how difficult it was it is to make a final and he knew that after all eight I have to redeem myself so as it's coming up to sort of take this now it is almost the perfect ending so the whole thing about Vias Boas the old guard not being trusted, maybe the old guard are now going to be shoved at and so forth. The material brings back the old guard, they managed to, have to find a way to this final. And now the guy who has been so clutch for, for Chelsea, the guy to lean upon for the big moments, this is the kick to deliver what Abramovich always wanted, the moments that he bought Chelsea and invested. There is so much riding on this kick. It literally is the most perfect ending you can have if you look at the entirety of the story. He scored a magnificent header to equalise and it's come down to Drogba who this time is the fifth penalty taker for Chelsea in the final shootout. The release was just insane. I know that bar being at Wembley for England winning the World Cup, I will never feel anything like it ever again. Of course, it was just Chelsea Stadium at that moment celebrating. And I mean, we know the, the English fans, I mean, the, the real English fans, and they were they were having a big party and they were louder than the Allianz Arena before. The relief that finally, finally, after all the times that we had been thwarted, like we actually won the Champions League. The Chelsea players ran in completely different directions. I think some of them ran towards the fans who are at the other end of the pitch. Some of them ran towards Drogba and Petacek. And it's those moments where you've absolutely no idea what to do. If you ask any of those players, they won't be able to tell you what they thought about at that moment. They just kind of lost their minds for a few seconds and just ran <laughs> wherever their instinct told them to. Apart from any of the football in that run, that's what I kind of remember about that. Peter, congratulations. What was that like? I can't describe the, the feeling I had. You know, I was shouting, I didn't know where I am, I saw Gigi doing the same thing. It's the first time in my life, like 20 seconds, I didn't know what to do. It's just unbelievable, I can't, you can't even imagine the feeling. What does it mean to finally do it, to finally land the Champions League for Chelsea? It, it means everything, it means everything. And um, we've been, I've been here 11 years, John's been here longer, Didier, Pete, 8 years, you know, we've been so close so many times, so everything. It was just kind of like the realisation, we just, wow. Look at that. Who knew when we were walking out of the Stadio San Paolo on the back of a 3-1 defeat with Andre Villas-Boas as manager, who knew that this was our destiny? Makes it all worthwhile. It was kind of the sum of all those parts where you just think, wow, nothing else in life can give you this feeling to be able to experience all of that, the highs and the lows, you know, with, with your best friends keeps you going back for more it's very addictive it was the ultimate hit i was with my dad my uncle immediately we all embraced and it's the first time i've ever seen my dad have tears in his eyes <laughs> I, I didn't have any tears in my eyes but it was the first time that i saw my dad with tears in his eyes it was just so surreal all the memories the atmosphere the occasion the history i could say that i was there for a historic moment of the club's uh you know lifetime fantastic night you see the chance they had of course, when uh, they had the penalty, you think it's not going to be your time. It's, it's, your name is not on the cup. But then Peter stepped up. 
a great save and then, and then you always have that little belief that never give up, we're always going to score. And uh, said so we ain't won in penalties since I've been here, but now we have. Well, they say the Germans never lose on penalties. They do now. Well done, Ashley. I'll ask it again, was it meant to be? Was it fate? Was it written? It was, it was, I think. I believe a lot in destiny. I pray a lot and uh, it was written, I think, a long time ago. But we didn't know. You've scored some big goals in big finals, but that equaliser tonight, the biggest of your career? Yeah, I think it changed the game. It changed the game, mentally. No, it changed the game, it changed the game, really. I'm very happy. Life is fantastic. Now, now Didier, he's off. I've always had a close affinity to Didier Drogba. He's a guy who's always worn his hat on, on his sleeve and always really cared about every course. So there's just so many different elements as to why it was so much of a greater feeling that Drogba scored. And I think because it's the 08 final, getting sense of 2009, his reaction, and it's ending with this. I speak for myself, I live for these kinds of redemption stories, particularly for players that I like. Today is a great day for the club, for our fans. For the players, I'm just really happy. I don't know if there's enough words to describe uh, the way I feel now. In Moscow, it was very difficult. And uh, today, we managed to, to change it. And uh, again, it was an amazing game. It was a crazy game, you know, like considering your goal, like I think 10 minutes before the end, equalizing on, you know, in the last minute and then playing the extra time. And we gave everything. We gave everything. I don't know if we have enough energy to, to party tonight, but... Uh, I think I'm going to find it. My husband said with my eldest son, because we'd agreed that we weren't going to force our football allegiance on him and he would be free to choose. He was one at the time. My husband said to me, if you win the Champions League, you can buy him a shirt. When we got back, the coach dropped us off at Embankment in central London. And I got straight on the district line, went down to Fulham Broadway for the parade, waited until the parade had gone past and then ran into the mega store and bought my son his shirt before I'd even gone home and like put my bag down. I I am fulfilling. I'm taking that bet. Well, after we beat Napoli, I I had a decent wager on Chelsea to win. I sort of increased that when we played Barcelona and then increased it again when we got to the final. You know, sometimes you think this time it's going to be, you know, it's written in the stars. You know, after that disappointment in um, Moscow, the Iniesta goal at, at the bridge a year later, you know, you kind of think, given everything that's happened this season, this is our season, isn't it? It is, surely. It didn't matter that it was in Munich and we were playing Bayern Munich. As much as I'm quite a rational person in daily life, the fact that we were playing on the 19th of the 5th, so 1905, and that was the year Chelsea were founded, it was destiny. It was fully written in the stars. Everything kind of lined up together to make it happen. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's about choice and sometimes you need to choose the right path. But there are moments in time and in life where something is destined to happen because there are just the ways in which the universe can manifest itself where it's like, nope, this person was supposed to do this. This is what they were meant for. So yes, in some elements in life, fate and destiny definitely exists. Mm, I think maybe after that night, from then on, it, it did make me believe that, yeah, if you take the risk and have positive actions, you create your own luck. If you follow football, it's part of being a football fan that you invest yourself in fate to some degree. You can stop yourself and you can check yourself and you can say, believing in fate isn't logical. There are logical reasons why all of this has happened. There'll be logical reasons why Bayern Munich missed two penalties. There's maybe there's something in the technique, the pressure got too much for them, whatever. But the non-logical side of your brain sometimes takes over in these things. That Chelsea generation won all there was to win in England, but their large collection of domestic honours would have made the Champions League's absence all the more glaring. Because those players are world-class ones that we used to have. That's exactly what they would have held against themselves for their entire lives if they never won a Champions League. And I'm not going to be patronising with these guys. You know, they're like elite level pros. So we're lucky to have seen them. And I definitely think that if they didn't get a Champions League, it would have taken away a bit of the shine, to be fair. Lampard and Ashley Cole and Drogba and John Terry and I suppose Petr Cech as well, they would have thought they would always define themselves as being winners while they had won a few Premier League titles in the preceding few years. The ultimate is still the Champions League. So that I think even if they wouldn't admit it, there would have been a, a sense that they hadn't been fulfilled if they hadn't have won this thing, particularly because they'd lost in the final before and they'd lost in the semi-final a couple of times in dramatic and, as they might think, unfair circumstances. I think they would have felt unfulfilled if they hadn't won this. Without the Champions League, they're just, hey, a very good Premier League team. It goes back to Abramovich. Yes, he wanted Chelsea to win. Yes, he wanted them to win the Premier League. You really wanted that Champions League. It is Chelsea's European Cup at last. It's Chelsea history. 
this is as good as it gets. It doesn't matter how the Premier League wants to spin it or how they want to sell it. The Champions League, that is the trophy that validates you as a genuine article, a true genuine article. So I think them winning the Champions League was very much needed to validate that call. The runners-up only had to wait 12 months, winning the 2013 Champions League final over Borussia Dortmund in London. As I explained, the story of Bayern Munich, maybe it was their destiny to win the cup one year later. And Wembley was so big for Bayern and so big for all the players because because it was almost the same team that lost against Chelsea. And if you ask them, I think they say a 2013 Champions League title felt bigger coming back after the big defeat. Not every team would have uh, come back after that, but Bayern, they made it one year later and uh, that's their story and I think they're fine with it. Di Matteo's interim tag was dropped after the final and he was made full-time Chelsea manager. Five months into the 2012-13 season, he was sacked after losing to West Brom, just like Vias Boas. Keeping with the pattern though, Chelsea won the 2013 UEFA Europa League with Rafa Benitez as their interim boss. Drogba left for Shanghai after beating Bayern, but two years later returned to West London, helping Jose Mourinho, who had also returned, win Chelsea their fourth Premier League title. It felt kind of wrong Drogba returning to Chelsea because the way his story and the club's Champions League quest ended was almost too perfect. Final game, last shot, winning the Champions League against Bayern in Munich, it all felt too perfect. But why Drogba returned spoke to the reason that Champions League title meant so much. It was about a group of players who had a deep connection with the club they played for and who found a way to get done what needed to get done, even if how it happened doesn't quite make sense. It is the one Champions League victory that people say that was truly like a miracle or that was a lock or that was fluke. And yes, the team was inferior to the 05 team and of course the 08 and the 09 team. They were inferior. They were not as, as, as good. Those teams were, were better. But the beauty about football and the beauty about sports is about finding a way to win. And especially when you're dealing with such high-level competition that is the, the Champions League, it's more so about the mentality than it is about the talent. And I think the beauty about this team is how they managed to succeed when so much was stacked against them. It was brilliant box office, you know, it's, it's feature film stuff. Let's throw as much adversity as we can and put traps all over the place and the club still succeeds in the end. And that was just pure ambition on the part of players who realised, you know, they're all getting to that stage of their careers where it was kind of now or never, you know. And it, yeah, it was just comic book hero stuff. When it all comes to an end and to the final, and there is one player who scores last minute and final penalty, and he was Didier Drogba. He is a great player, and Bayern Munich, the team, would have deserved the title, but Drogba was the player who didn't need a lot of chances like Robben. He needed just one header and, and one penalty. That was enough. Chelsea spent all this time on all this money uh, in trying to recruit the best manager, the managers that they possibly could. After Mourinho, they brought in a World Cup winner and Scolari. They brought in Carlo Ancelotti, a guaranteed winner throughout all European football. Then they tried something different and tried to bring in a new, fresh, young thinker, Andre Vers Boas. But in the end, they won the Champions League, this trophy that they had coveted ever since Abramovich came in, with a guy in charge who was only in charge because he was there. This experiment had failed and they needed someone to take them through to the end of the season. Not that I'm saying people are wasting time in being smart and thinking about football, but sometimes nothing makes sense. You can put as much logical thought into something as you like, but... Roberto Di Matteo wins the Champions League. It's one of the many incredibly brilliant things about football that logic completely goes out the window a lot of the time. Podcast Network.